Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Man. All right, well, good to see everybody here early this morning. Man, I, I did not want to get out of bed this morning, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, but as soon as I did, it was it was sweet to be up with the Lord here. So glad you're here, and Lord willing, we are, you're going to be blessed with the with the Word of God this morning. Let me ask you this: If someone were to ask you, what is the secret to living a long and healthy Christian life? What would you say? Well, if somebody asked me, I think I would say. First of all, there, it's not a secret. Um, it's right there in Scripture. And second, I think I would take them to this passage that we're going to look at today. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Of all the Scriptures in the entire Bible, I think I would call this the secret to making it long distance for Jesus. You know, we've come to a very exciting transition now in the book of Romans. It has been so good. Up chapters 1 through 11, there's just nothing like the book of Romans. And now we make a transition into the practical uh, and where we are, each and every one of us. Uh, what kind of gift receiver are you? I'm talking about when you sit there at Christmas or your birthday and you open a gift in front of everybody. What kind of a gift receiver are you? Uh, we have several types in our family. Uh, you know, they are the people who methodically open every piece uh, of uh, the wrapping and then gently take out the gift and thank every person involved in the gift. And it's, it takes forever, but it's really nice. Uh, others, you know, open it and they open the gift and immediately whatever they see, they use. <laughs> if it's a piece of clothing, they just put it on immediately. And another, or if it's a game or something, they just open it up and start using it before they do anything else. Then, of course, you have the young boys, like in our home, who are usually, you know, the thrashers who just tear into the gift. But then, as soon as the gift comes out, they jump up and down. They're super excited. And uh, Elena was saying the other day, it's fun to give to them <laughs> because they just seem to love it so much. Um, but as you grow older, you know, uh, the thing that seems to excite us the most about opening a gift and ha having a gift is the value of the gift. The more the value, the more excited we seem to get. I mean, if, you know, I, I see the commercials, and I, if I was like that, if I ever walked out on a Christmas morning and my wife took me out there and she said, look what I bought for you out here in the, in the driveway, and there's a brand new pickup there, you know, a $100,000 pickup with a big bow on it. Uh, you know, I might act like one of those kids <laughs> jumping up and down like that. I, I would also wonder if my wife was part of the drug cartel or something, but, um, but uh, what we have been doing over these past 20 weeks uh, in the book of Romans is unwrapping the greatest gift ever given to humans. That is the God's gift of salvation. The book of Romans is like taking a diamond, the most valuable diamond in the world, and putting it up in the light and just turning it and gazing at that diamond from every possible angle. 
and seeing its beauty. That is what Romans is. It's Paul saying, look at God from this angle. Look at his salvation from this angle. Look at it from this angle. Everywhere you go, it's the amazing beauty of God. Let me just do a quick reminder here. Paul has convincingly described the reality of human sin. Romans 3.10 says, As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. And for that sin, we deserve death. Separated from God forever, that is hell. Paul made it very clear. But then, as it unfolded more and more in the book of Romans, we found that Paul expressed the goodness of God in sending Jesus to come and die so that we might be declared righteous or justified. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What a gift. Peace with God. Let me ask you, how can you put a price tag on peace with God? You cannot. And then, not only that, but then Romans, he, as he continues in Romans 8.1, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. In other words, Paul makes it very clear that the believer's future is completely settled. You will, not, you will not die and then face condemnation. No, when we die, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, you are guaranteed a home in heaven. God has given us, everybody, something that's far beyond the value of a vehicle <laughs> or the value of a diamond. This is eternal salvation of the human soul. Even though we never deserved it. But remember, although it was free to us, it came at great cost to Jesus. So Romans 1 through 11 is all about that and looking at that from every angle. And it helps us understand the believer's position in Christ. But now what we're going to do is as we go into Romans chapter 12, we're going to move from position, our position in Christ, to now our practice. How we live from believing now to getting busy. You know, Romans chapter 12, verse, uh, 12 through 16 is now how we live in light of this amazing gift that we've been given. And this is, this is Paul's um, standard practice when he writes a, an epistle or he writes a letter. He starts off with doctrine, and then toward the end of the letter, he'll move to the practice. What does this mean for our everyday life? Here's all the teaching. Here's all what God has done. So what does this mean for Monday morning? Um, so what we're going to look at now is the appropriate reaction to opening the greatest gift ever given. The appropriate reaction. To boil it all down to a simple statement, I would like to say it like this. Uh, the hymn writer said this, so I'm copying from him. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. If you could wrap it up, that is the only appropriate response to Romans 1 through 11. The only response is a surrendered life to the Lord, a life of obedience to God. Here's what we'll see. Number one, we see in verse one, and that is a consecration of the body. The only response, the only response to everything that God has done is a consecration of my body. Romans 12, one, look what it says. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. 
So we're going to break this down. We're going to look at almost every single word here because every single word is powerful. He starts off with saying, I beseech, or in Greek, prekleo. It means to come alongside, to comfort, to exhort. It's, the, it's very similar to the name that's given to the Holy Spirit. So in other words, he comes alongside, just like the Holy Spirit does, he comes alongside and he speaks to us, he teaches us. That's the tone of this passage now. So that Paul's saying, I beseech you, I beseech you. So the tone of what, how Paul is saying this is, he's like coming up next to you, putting his arm around you, and imploring you to do what he's about to say. Listen, believer, listen to everything that I said now, and I beseech you. I beseech you to listen to me. And he says then, therefore, I beseech you, therefore. So when we do proper interpretation, biblical interpretation, if you see a therefore, always look to see what it's there for. Uh, Why is this therefore there? Paul is saying, because of all that we've been, I've been explaining, chapters one through 11, everything that God has done for you, you sinners, but now Jesus has saved you, all that he's done, all that he's done, therefore, because of the matchless truths of all that God has done, therefore, therefore, I beseech you, by the mercies of God. Now, if there's anything that we see in the book of Romans, it's the mercy of God. Um, just in the last chapter, Romans chapter 11, verse 32, you might remember, here's what it says. For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all. God has again and again displayed his mercy on all, on all. That's God's, when he, when he gathers the whole, when he gets to the end of the whole situation, the whole matter, he says, listen, I have concluded everything that everyone really is just in unbelief. The Jew, the Gentile, really, they come into this world in unbelief, and I am going to have mercy on all. He has again and again displayed his mercy throughout history. God has shown that. But I think, in this case, Paul is saying, by, I beseech you by the mercies of God, I think this would be wise now for us to take this personally. How has God been merciful to you, personally, specifically, Where would you be today if it were not for God's mercy? How has he blessed you in ways that you do not deserve? I think we sometimes need to go ahead and rehearse specific ways that God has been good to us, the mercy that he has shown to me. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by those mercies, by those mercies of God that he has given to you, I beseech you, I implore you, I put my arms around you and I beg you to listen because God has been so good to you because he has poured out mercy on you. Here's what I, you need to do. Present. Present your body. Present. It's the same Greek word as is translated yield in Romans 6, uh, 16 and 19. He said to yield your members as instruments of righteousness. It's the exact same Greek word. You present, you yield your body. Yield it. Your bodies, your bodies. Present your body. Yes, your body. This is very extremely practical. Extremely practical. Our brain, our eyes, our ears, our mouths, our arms, our legs, our bodies. Yes, our bodies. God is saying, present your body. 
Never say, never say that God doesn't care what we do with our bodies. Never say that. He does care. He says, present your body. Give me your body. Give me your body. And present it as a living sacrifice. Now, what is God talking about here? A living sacrifice. What does it mean to present our bodies a living sacrifice? Well, I believe it literally means to present your whole natural life as an offering for God to use. We're talking about living a life that you don't own anymore, that I don't own anymore. We let go of our ambitions. We let go of our plans. We let go of our rights. We let go of our autonomy, really. Everything we are, we let go of it. And we present that and we bring it to the Lord as a sacrifice. Another word for surrender, for this sacrifice, would be surrender or consecration. Someone at once asked their pastor, will you please tell me in a word what your idea of consecration is? And so the pastor pulled out a blank sheet of paper and he said, it is for you to sign your name at the bottom of this blank sheet and let God fill it in however he wants. I love the words of the founder of the Salvation Army, William Booth. When, when J. Wilbur Chapman was in London, he had an opportunity to meet William Booth. And at this time, he was past 80 years old. And so Dr. Chapman listened as this minister spoke. And afterwards, he asked him the secret of his success. And he hesitated for a minute. And then, here's what William Booth said. I will tell you the secret. God has had all there was of me. There have been men with greater brains than I, men with greater opportunities, but from the day I got the poor of London on my heart and a vision of what Jesus Christ could do with the poor of London, I made up my mind that God would have all of William Booth there was. And if there is anything of power in the Salvation Army today, it is because God has all the adoration of my heart, all the power of my will, and all the influence of my life. This is why at the beginning I called this the surrender or surrender the secret to a long, healthy Christian life. I stole it from William Booth. Surrender is the secret to overcoming sin. Surrender to the Lord is the secret to being joyful every day. Surrender is the secret to being an encourager to other people. Surrender is the secret to good parenting. Surrender is the secret to being a good spouse. Surrender is the secret to the Christian life. Often the thing that's holding someone back from truly enjoying the Christian life and walking in the spirit is surrender. They just haven't given up something to the Lord yet. Uh, we, we sometimes prefer the song, I surrender some. <laughs> I surrender some a bit to Jesus. I surrender, I surrender some. You know, the other thing that happens is that not, not, not that we just give some, but sometimes we give Jesus our life, we surrender, but then we take it back. You know, the, the sacrificial animals in the Old Testament, obviously Paul is talking about a sacrifice here, and so he's referring to these Old Testament sacrifices. But when you would come and bring your sacrifice to the priest, uh, before they would put it on the altar to be burned up, they would kill it. You never put a living animal on the, the flames. But Paul says very carefully, 
you are to be a living sacrifice. God is not saying cut your own throat. (laughs) What he's saying is to live a life that is sacrificial. Of course, the problem then with a living sacrifice is that it's not dead and that it squirms off the altar sometimes. And this is our human tendency. We squirm off the altar. This is getting a little too hot for me. Um, There's that initial presentation of my life, and I think you have to have that. I think there needs to be a moment. I really do believe there needs to be a moment in everybody's life where they surrender all. I surrender all. I give it all to you, Lord. But then I believe that there are multiple more surrenders throughout my life. Sometimes daily, I've crawled off the altar. And because we all naturally uh, go toward um, sin, we all go away from the Lord. We drift away from God. Nobody ever drifts into loving God more or surrendering more or more holiness. Nobody does. We all drift away. But if you ever stop climbing back up on the altar, if you ever stop climbing back up, you are headed in a dangerous path. You're headed in a dangerous, dangerous path. Now some might look at this, present your bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. Some might say, wow, that seems very radical. That is very radical. This must be for pastors and missionaries and people like that. But I'm sorry to tell you, <laughs> or I'm glad to tell you, that here the po- Paul says is brethren. I beseech you therefore, brethren. That's believers, all believers. And as we'll see in a minute, this is not radical at all. It's reasonable. And God says here that when you offer yourself, this offering needs to be holy. He says holy and acceptable to God. So certainly ev- anybody who's a believer in Christ, as we've seen in Romans, has been made holy by the blood of Christ. That is our position in Christ. But Paul is talking about our bodies here. And so I believe he's talking about living a clean life and being set apart for God. Uh, being acceptable unto God is a reference to the Old Testament sacrifices that needed to be clean so that they could, could be used by God. Charles Swindoll said it well. Listen to what he said. He said, the idea is to give over the use of something for a specific purpose. That is what holy means. In the Old Testament, it was not uncommon for people to present gold, silver, building supplies, and even food to the priests who then used the donations to construct a place of worship as well as physically survive. However, anything presented to the temple had to be first rate. Sacrifices had to be without blemish or defect. Materials had to be the best quality. And nothing offered could have been previously used in the service of another God. See, when we offer ourselves to God, Paul is saying what you need to do is you need to give him your best. When we, when we surrender, we need to surrender and ourselves to live holy lives. Lord, I surrender to you and I purpose, I commit to living a holy life, a life that's separated to, unto you, a life that's for your purpose. That's what holy means. You've taken something that is secular, if you will, and you've now put, put it under the blood and now made it useful for the kingdom of God. And that's what we are to be. We can't say that we've given ourselves to God, but then live dirty lives. That's not acceptable to God. That's not acceptable. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, Paul told Timothy, if a man therefore purge himself from these, 
talking about just sin in his life, then he shall be a vessel of honor, or unto honor, sanctified, which is the same uh, word as holy, sanctified and meet or useful for the master, and prepared unto every good work. See, holiness reflects the holy God that we serve, and it positions us for his use. Again, as I mean, if I go to the cupboard and I'm looking for a cup to use, I want a clean cup. <laughs> I want a cup that I'm going to drink out of. The, so I always inspect, always, and especially around my house. I inspect as much as I can. And God says, listen, I want to use. I want to use you. I want to use you. But let me clean you up first. Let me clean you up first. Surrender to my cleaning so that I can use you in the best possible way. And that is surrender. Holiness reflects the holy God we serve. And then Paul ends the verse with this. He says, this is, or which is, your reasonable service or reasonable worship. Reasonable, I want to focus in on that word. I, I, I was so drawn to that word here as I was studying it this week. Reasonable is the Greek word logikos, which is where we get our word logic. This is the place, uh, this is a place in the King James, or where the King James is very helpful because many other English versions translate this word spiritual. But the word is better translated reasonable or logical. See, when I present my body to the Lord, it is a heart decision, of course, but it's also a logical decision of the mind. Paul's point is here that presenting my body to the Lord is the most logical thing to do once you know Romans 1 through 11. Once you understand all that God has done, it just makes the most sense to just lay down your life. There is no other reasonable response to the goodness and the mercy of God. There really is not. This is not radical. This is reasonable. Think about it. Get your calculator out. Run the numbers. What other possible e response could there be for someone who has saved you from eternity? He sa or excuse me, saved you for eternity. He's literally given you salvation. He saved you from hell and given you an etern eternal eternal, everlasting life. What is, what is a reasonable response to the person who's done that for you? Some might say, well, how can God ask a person to sacrifice and give up his personal freedom and to do whatever he wants and give him his, his body to God? Paul would say, how can you logically not do that? How can you logically not? I'm a big Andy Griffith fan, okay? Um, I, lo I love that show. And I should say that, Andy Griffith's show fan. <laughs> but this reminds me of the show, maybe one of the episodes you remember, Andy Saves Gomer. So Andy finds Gomer napping in the garage, and he snuffs out a, a small fire. Uh, the oily rags are burning there, so he saves Gomer's life. And Gomer, of course, blows the whole incident out of proportion. And uh, then he says, Andy, I am now indebted to you for life. I am your slave for life. And so Gomer, you know, attaches himself to Andy. He gives himself. He shows up everywhere. He bugs the tar out of him. And, and so finally, Andy has to come up with a way where uh, uh, Gomer saves Andy's life. And he comes up with this whole scenario so that he, he would take it back, you know. And uh, so he, he does that, but then it backfires, and then Andy ends up saving Gomer's life again. And so, uh, of course, because Gomer screws it up somehow. But uh, eventually it all, it all comes together. But I was just thinking, it came to mind. 
it's a very dumb and imperfect illustration here, okay? But this is how I feel. I am so indebted to God for all he's done. I just want to serve him so much that I annoy him. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm Gomer, he's and he saved me. He has saved me. We need a bunch of Christian Gomer piles running around that are so indebted to the Lord, they just say, Lord, I am attached to you. I'm attached to you. You're not, you're not ever going to get rid of me. I'm with you. That's the only logical thing. But it's not only our bodies. God wants to help us now live every day with a new way of thinking. So we present our bodies, we consecrate our bodies, and then in verse 2, we're going to see that we allow God to renovate our mind. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So once we've given our bodies completely to the Lord, this does not stop a person from sinning. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> the world, the world will continue to come after us full-scale invasion. Maybe even more after you've surrendered your body to the Lord, the world does not let up. It will not let up tomorrow. It will not let up on Tuesday. It will not let up on Wednesday. It will not let up on Thursday. The world will not let up. And what the world is trying to do is trying to conform the world we're talking about here means the thought patterns of the world, the philosophies of the world, the ideals, the narratives, all that are opposite of God and opposite of God's word. The world is constantly pressuring people in the world to conform to its way of thinking and its way of behaving. Conform is the Greek word schismatizo. It means to fashion or conform to the same pattern. Paul is saying, do not be fashioned into the pattern of the world. Some have called it forcing you into its mold. Forcing you into its mold. The world wants, to, wants us to soften up like clay so that they can put our, their little hands around us and mold us to how they want us to be. This age that we live in wants us to fall in line with their thinking and their same behavior, and they will not let up. And if we don't, if we don't fall in line with their thinking and their behavior and act like they act and agree with what they agree with and, and confirm what they confirm, and, and, and if we don't do that, then we'll, we will be marginalized, we will be ostracized, and we will be canceled, of course. But Paul says, do not be conformed. Do not be conformed. Do not let them mold you into their thinking or their behavior. It's very easy to do, and it's the natural progression of things, but you have to have a guard against that. Jesus told his disciples to just get something in your head. They will hate you because they hate me. They will hate you because they hate me. In other words, you're going to be different. Just embrace it. Don't be conformed by it. You know, a missionary to India told a story about a little Hindu girl that was brought up in a strict Hindu family, she'd come across Christians in India and somebody asked her one day, what is a Christian? And this little Hindu girl thought for a minute and she replied, well, as far as I can see, a Christian is somebody who's different from everybody else. <laughs> you can't put it any better than that. That's right. Christians should be different from everybody else. That's right. 
That's who we are. But so many Christians can't handle that social pressure. And we all can't, unless we have God's help. In one episode of Candid Camera, they had an unsuspecting person board an elevator, and they just naturally turned around like you're supposed to in the elevator toward the doors. But then they brought in a, a bunch of actors, and the actors all came in, three actors came into the elevator, and they faced the back wall. And so pretty soon, they're going up, this, this person's going up the elevator, this unsuspecting person, and they're looking around, and the, the door opens up, the fourth person enters and faces the wall. And so now, this person is really trying to figure out what he should do. And of course, the look on their faces is priceless. That's what the, that's what the show is all about. Finally, they did this several times, this experiment, and every single time, the person turned around with them. The, the social influence uh, is so, so strong. The, the world conforms us. It, it molds us. If everybody's doing it, there must be something to it. God said, do not let the world conform you. The way to battle that constant pressure from the world that's there every single day, is, he says, is to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed. Transformed is the Greek word metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis. We are to be transformed or changed like a caterpillar changes into a butterfly. The internal properties force an outward change. So the inward change that God is working in our minds should force an outward transformation in our life. There's so much, so much that God is doing in our hearts and in our minds, so, so much. We're keeping our minds renewed every day that that just forces an outward transformation of the life and a, and a resistance against the conform, conforming of the world. Renewing means a change or it, literally a renovation. Paul is talking about having a whole new way of thinking in our brains. We no longer think like the world is telling us to think. We think differently. We have a re renovated way of thinking. We're, not, we're, we're only accepting renewed thoughts. We're only accepting biblical thoughts, thoughts that have passed the Jesus test. I love what Paul said in this scripture in 2 Corinthians 10.5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And listen, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's what a Christian is supposed to do. We capture every thought that's starting to come into our minds. These thoughts are coming in and we, we grab them. And then we say, okay, I bring them into, in, is this, I bring it into captivity now and now I wanna find out, does this thought obey Christ? Is this, is this thought in line with truth? Is this thought in line with what God has said? If it is, then okay, I'll, I'll accept it, I'll think it, I'll let it pass through that, that filter and make it a part of how I think. If it does not, then I reject it. I cast it down. I get rid of it. It's not a true thought. But notice that it says be transformed. So we don't do the transforming ourselves. We don't transform ourselves. God does the transforming. But we participate in the transforming. We let him transform us by only accepting the truth that will renovate our mind. This is all about thinking in a whole new way. It's accepting only what he has given and rejecting uh, false things. We are going to be thinking biblically, not like certain group or not like a political party, 
not like a family creed that we have, not like my friends think or somebody at work thinks. No, I'm thinking biblically. We think like the Bible, not Biden. <laughs> we think like the word and not the world. We think like scripture and not self. This is why it's so important, the books that we're reading, the people we're listening to, is it biblical? Yeah, I'm gonna use a quick illustration here that I picked up from the Growing Kids God's Way class. So if you've been there, you've heard something like this, and I think it'll be very helpful to us. It's, uh, it's one of the most helpful things, illustrations I've heard. Our minds are like a warehouse, and we should fill the shelves of that warehouse with God's word. Because the day will come when you will need to pull that scripture off the shelf and apply it to your life. An example here. Someone thinks in anger, you know what? I'm just going to tell off my coworker. This guy is driving me crazy. I'm just going to tell him off. So I run down the aisles of my mind and in this warehouse. And I then, as a Christian though, I need to look for the scripture that applies to this situation. So I'm going down the, going down the line and I say, oh, this is the scripture I have put in my mind. I've read the scripture, so I'm going to pull this one off the shelf. And I look at it and it says, a soft answer turns away wrath and grievous words stir up anger. Okay, I will not do what I thought I was going to do. That's a, that's a new way of thinking. I'll think that way. Someone asks a young person at work, listen, come to the party. It's just a little bit of drinking. It's not that big a deal. We'll have a good time. You should come. So we run down, the, that young person runs down the aisle of, the, of their mind. What, what scripture has been stored in my warehouse? And let me see where I can go. And ah, here's one. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Okay, that's a pretty good one in this situation. Okay, I'll apply that one. That's a, new, that's a new way of thinking. Everybody else is telling me this. I'll think that way. Someone thinks this form of entertainment is no big deal. I can do this. I can have this form of entertainment. We run down the aisle. We pick one. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you're a light in the Lord, so walk as children of the light. Okay, that one applies here. I guess I can't do that one. A dad thinks in his mind, I'm too tired to sit down and have Bible devotions with my kids. It's just too much. And then he goes down the aisles of his mind and remembers what scripture says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Okay, I better apply that one and do that because this is what God says. It's a renovated way of thinking. A wife says, I've had, or a husband says, I, I, put in, I don't want to put in all the work uh, to have a date with my wife. And he runs down the aisle and he says, oh, husbands, love your wives. Love your wives. A wife says, I've had such a long day, I don't have any energy to give to my husband. And she pulled, goes down and she pulls it, let the wives see that they reverence their husband. See, listen, we can't expect a transformed life by thinking like everybody else. You, don't ha you, aren't, you aren't transformed if you're just doing what everybody else is doing and thinking how everybody else is thinking. It only comes from a renewed and renovated mind, and that only comes from stocking the shelves with the Word of God. This is why reading your, the Bible so much and saturating yourself in the Word of God is vitally important for how we think and how we reject the conforming of the world. And here's the beauty of living like this. You can be confident in the end that you are living out the will of God for your life. You can be confident that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? See, once a person has a renewed mind and a transformed life, then they will begin to live out. It just, it just comes a good and acceptable uh, life to God. They'll be living out 
the perfect will of God for them. What an exciting thought this morning. Think about this, that you could know that you're living the perfect will of God for your life. Some people say, I, wanna, I don't know if I'm living the will of God. If you, are so, if you understand Romans 12, 1 and 2 here, and those things are a living part of you, then you can just be confident that what's happening right now in your life is the will of God for you. People sometimes ask, how do I find God's will? Then that's why, again, this passage is so vitally important. I would tell him or her, read, and not just read, live in Romans 12, 1 and 2, until it lives inside of you. Pour over every single word until you understand it and are doing it. And once you're there, once you, once you understand those things, you will then realize that you are now, you're proving what is acceptable and perfect will of God. The good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It will just flow out of you. The will of God will be so clear to you. So clear to you. And God will, God will show it that path. There's nothing better than this. There's nothing better than living life for the Lord in a complete surrender, consecrating my body and renovating my mind uh, through the Lord Jesus. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.